unfortunately, my wife has to be away as part of her role as the director of Saskatoon Pregnancy Options and Support Centre this morning at another church, but I know that she would have loved to have been here as usual. It takes a lot for her not to be in church community on a Sunday. But I just want to welcome everyone that's in the room. We're back to Canadian winter, I see. So if you remember Thursday, that's what English winter was like. Wet, mushy, brown, disgusting, but not quite as cold as it is today. So you can understand why I love. For those of you that are, obviously it is cold today, but for those of you that are complaining about it, it's better than Thursday, believe me. And if every day for six months was like Thursday, we would be complaining a lot about that as well. But welcome to be, welcome in the room and online as well. It's great to have everyone with us on Vision Sunday. And I'll talk a bit more about what that means to us uh, in a few minutes. I just want to, I guess, point our attention to Thursday night. This Thursday night is what we call All Team Night. That's for everyone that serves on team in the life of the church. We'd love you to join us at 7 p.m. We're going to have a time in the chapel, a bit of worship. We get to honor one or two of our key volunteers that have just gone faithfully over and above and served consistently over a period of time. And it's also a bit of a time to get further into our vision for this year and how that outworks. And normally at this moment, I would say, let's pray as we get into the Word. But today I've had, you know, I've had many conversations as I wander around. I always do on a Sunday. But three conversations have come to me this morning, and I'd actually just like us to pray again. I know that Danae, she does an apps. I think she's an incredible host, and uh, she does a wonderful job. And we've prayed together. But these three conversations have impacted me because they came... I guess just as I wandered around, and I'd like to stand and for us to pray again, not just for these three, but for these three, but for everyone else that's maybe thinking, yeah, that's my need at the moment. And I know there's many needs across the church. One of the first conversations I had with someone who's lost their job. And it, you know, it's a, a thing that impacts the whole family. And they were, how do I move forward in this? What do I do? But then I, I had a, <coughs> excuse me, another conversation with someone that's about to lose their mother. And it, it's a traumatic moment that, or, or season where they know their mum is going to die. And then someone else, part of our community, who's had to be away from church for a while and sickness in the family and dealing with that. And, and because of that, just being out of community and the mental health and anxiety that comes from that. You see, that, that might be... You, you're thinking, yeah, that's just like my need. And so I'd love for us, just for a couple of moments, to stand and pray again. I know it's slightly out of the order of the service, but it's okay. We're praying. We can interrupt our schedule to be able to do that. So why don't you stand with me? Father, you see... In some cases, hearts that are breaking this morning. We see bodies that are broken this morning. 
We see minds that are trying to deal with the stuff of life, and that's causing anxiety. We see a lack of future that people cannot see beyond this first step this morning. And God, I pray. I pray as, as Danae has prayed that not only will they know that you are in the situation, but we as a community stand with them. We stand and support them in prayer. We stand and we reach out in love. We reach out to say, you don't have to walk this road alone. We pray that particularly for those, these three families. But Lord, everyone else that's maybe represented by mental health issues or physical health issues or, or job issues. Or even those that are facing end of life. Face, have already faced loss and are just trying to deal with that. God, we as a community want to know, want those people to know we're together. We don't walk this road alone. I pray, God, that we would reach out. I pray, God, that we will not be so involved in our own tight-knit little lives that we will not forget to pray. Not forget to reach out with a text or a phone call. Not forget to make a seat at the table where need be. In the name of Jesus, we agreed together and said, Amen. Why don't you grab your seats? So, there's a picture that's about to come up. Now, it's an old-fashioned picture, but do you know what it is? You can answer. Anyone know what it is? It's, uh, in Canadian, a urinal. In English, it's a urinal. You're right. That's exactly what it is. Now, if you look at it, you might notice one or two strange things about it. I don't know if you notice anything unusual about it. First thing is, there's a name and a date on it. Which, because there's a name and a date written on it, it implies there's something slightly different about it. Second thing is, it's probably not where it should be. So if it's not where it should be, there's usually a set of questions that we would look at it and think, why is it not where it should be? Where is it? What's it doing? Now, if it was in a men's washroom, there are certain assumptions that we could make about a urinal. Urinal. We know what a urinal is for. <laughs> we know what it smells like as well, generally. And if women know what a urinal smells like, I've got to ask the question, how? Unless you've been a cleaner. We would assume not only the smell, we would also assume that there's probably several pieces of chewing gum in the bottom there. But if you've never seen a urinal before, you may come to other conclusions. My dad tells the story of how when we moved to Labrador, 
a new school was built that he was the head teacher of. And we, he went into the school and they were showing the parents around the school and they came and there was a set of urinals on the wall there. And one of the parents exclaimed, wow, what an amazing school. They even have places to wash your hair. But this urinal is in an art gallery. I know, strange. Let me tell you as well, something even stranger. It is, this one, it is in a collection of 15 replicas of the original. Now, the original has actually been lost. But... The 15 replicas together are worth about $100 million. So from that information, that tiny bit of information, you know there's got to be a whole backstory to the urinal that you see in front of you. Why is it there? Who put it there? What is the backstory? You see, that simple picture there although it gives you a few tidbits of information, does not tell you the whole story. It doesn't tell you about its past, and it definitely doesn't tell you about its future. It's not inlaid with gold, or even handcrafted and designed, as you may think of something that's worth that much money. It is a simple porcelain urinal bought from a normal toilet shop. But when you look into it, even though the signature there says R. Mutt, 1917, it was actually put in an art exhibition, and they actually refused it at first because it was a simple urinal. But it was put there by an artist called Marcel Duchamp, who placed it there, and from that simple placement, eventually he managed to get it into the art gallery started a whole new avant-garde art movement called Dada. It was ordinary, and it was for ordinary use until the artist put his stamp, his signature on it, and then the urinal began to have a story. So what's my story? Some of it I've unpacked at different stages, and I'm not going to talk too much about it now, maybe over the next few weeks I'll tell a bit more of my story, but you could say an underachiever, could do better, was on my report card at school. I was never really sure of my relationship with God, and that because of that, I was never really confident in telling people that I was a follower of Jesus. In fact, I probably, for much of my early years was never really sure that I was a follower of Jesus. Can I tell you now? God loves me. Despite what I have, may have done in my past, even what I may do in my future, God loves me. So I have my own story. This urinal that you saw earlier had its own story. Our church has its own story. You may have arrived here in the last week, the last year, the last decade. You may have been here for 30 years. But can I say to you, even if you've been here that long, there is still a backstory that you may not 
have heard about. There is still some of the details that you may have assumed. Ninety years ago, a group of people with a vision to reach those who did not know Jesus began to meet in a small wooden frame church on 13th Street. And then, when that got too small, they moved to University Drive in 1951, and then just over 40 years ago, we moved here to Circle Drive. Just a few sentences, but there is a whole deal of history in those few sentences. But you see, the story goes back even further. We're not just here because someone decided to start a church. In the beginning was the word, a story, a person. And we, the church, we as individuals are woven into the rich tapestry of God's story. That's what Christianity is all about. That's what we are here for. Because we have begun to weave ourselves both as a person I have, but also as a church. We have woven ourselves into God's rich tapestry. And often we only get to see the back. Have you ever looked at the back of a tapestry? It's a mess. And that's often just the bit we see, but when we begin to peek round, we see that God is weaving lives together in his tapestry. The colors that come together to make a story. But we don't always see that. We just see the mess. We just see the, the loose cords that don't seem to quite fit, but God is weaving us together. Today is what we call Vision Sunday. A day that sort of kicks off our focus for the year. This day doesn't detract from our big vision. The big vision of the church that goes back many, many years and comes from a verse in Acts 15, verse 19. I encourage you to go away and read it. I haven't put it up here. But I want you to read it and read the context. Basically, it talks about not making it difficult for those people that don't know the Jesus that we know to come to know him. Not just to come to church, but to come to know Jesus. To be a church that the unchurched love to attend. That doesn't change. We're not moving away from that, but... This year, I want to remind us, how many people have seen Field of Dreams as a film? Yeah. If you build it, they will come. What a great concept. Unfortunately, it doesn't work for church. It doesn't work for church. If you build it, they will come. No. And I think we take that on as our attitude. If we build it, if we get everything right, they will come. They won't. Because people are too busy in their nice lives or in their messed up lives. See, church is only built when we begin to tell our story, when we begin to unpack and invite them into community. One of the phrases that's been brought into our vocabulary in the last few years is the phrase gone viral or going viral. 
great example of this was in 2010, a, a woman called Brenny Brown, incredible, incredible woman. If you haven't heard her speak or read her books, go away, get them. But she did a TED Talks video that she thought would reach a few hundred, maybe at the most, a thousand people. Currently, on just two, sorry, two YouTube videos, and these have been copied and played all over the place. Currently, on just the two main YouTube videos, it's been viewed a hundred million times. That is going viral. And social media has been a platform for everyone to tell their story. Unfortunately, not all should be told. And thankfully, most of them don't go viral. But a viral story is a story that is repeated and spread widely. So this year, I want us as a church not just to learn how to tell our story. That's what I want us to do, but there is a reason and a purpose for that. I want us to learn to tell our story, the story of what Jesus has done in our life, the story of what Jesus has done in the world, and the story of what Jesus can do in their lives as well. That's what we want. We want our story not necessarily to go viral on social media, not to be sensationalized and plastered all across the world, but going viral to our next door neighbor, going viral to the guy at work that's going through a divorce, or the woman at work that's suffering domestic abuse. How do we become viral storytellers? Not of someone else's story, but of our own. Maybe you're here or watching online and you haven't yet joined the story of Jesus yet, woven your life into his life. At the end of the service, you'll actually be given an opportunity and a challenge to do so because we all have a story to, to tell. You may have heard and, you know, it's, it's one of the, the things that goes round at the moment, your truth, my truth, everyone's truth has equal value. And they say that all our stories have equal value. It's wrong. You see, your story is more valuable in your workplace with the people that know you. My story is not particularly valuable there at all. My story is more valuable to my next-door neighbor, Howard, who I've begun to know well. Your story, not particularly, unless you know Howard. And I know some of you do. But our stories don't hold equal value because all our stories are told in different spaces. Did you know that still 77 people, 77% of people come to church because of friends inviting them? 77%. Now many of us have had the privilege of growing up in Christian homes. I walked away from church. But I came back because someone invited me. 77 people, 77% of people come to church because someone invites them. And that sounds great. The problem is, we expect the 1% to invite the 77%. 
those really outgoing people. Those ones that can talk and talk and talk and talk. You know, like Sean Windrum. But actually, each of us, and, and, and Sean knows this well, his story, as great as it may be, does not hold the same value as your story does in your family or your workplace or your education place. Your story does. 77%. But to tell our story, we have, to, we have to encounter the one word that Christians fear and dread and run screaming from. Not Voldemort, but evangelism. You see, already some of your stomachs are starting to tighten. Mine does. Can we be honest? One or two people love it. But the rest of us... But you see, the Bible doesn't say, if you're like Derek or Sean or one or two others. We have a... Dee and I have great, a great friend called Christine Kane. She could get on a plane, talk about the inside of a table tennis ball, and people would get saved in the plane. By the time the plane landed, people would be asking to be baptized, joint, starting a church. I'm not like that. I get on a plane, I put my headphones on, and you know, you have that, that stance of don't talk to me. Don't interfere with my film watching. But my story has value where I am. And maybe that one person on the plane next to me or the neighbor will realize that as I unpack my story, that they see themselves in that. We actually all do evangelism. I don't know if you've ever thought about that, but we all evangelize people. When we first moved to Canada, Tim Hortons, that's where we get coffee. You know, Starbucks, second best. Go to Tim Hortons. That's what we were told. We talk about those things that we value, whether it be hockey, hunting, the latest movie, the reopening of Zellers. Anyone realize that Zellers is opening again? We had a long conversation in our staff lunch about the reopening of Zellers. Do you know what we were doing there? We were evangelizing on behalf of Zellers. It's true. And if you didn't know that Zellers is going to be open again, I think it's in the bay, you, if you've liked it, you will go out and tell someone else about the reopening of Zellers. See, I should get probably some commission for that. Evangelism is simply telling our story and how it's interwoven with the brand or the person. So what makes us embarrassed about talking about Jesus? We have to think about that. Part of it is maybe our own introversy. I don't know if that's actually a word, but hopefully you understand about that. But there are other reasons. And evangelism is not just inviting people to church and hoping that me or someone else that stands up here or the songs are going to do the job. It's our responsibility as followers of Jesus, to be able to talk about what Jesus has done in our lives to the people around us. We can't wait for the expert to do the work. 
your story is your story to tell. And this year, through different methods and means and environments, circle groups and things like that, we want to equip people to confidently tell our story interwoven with the bigger story of Jesus. Why? Because you are the expert in your story. Evangelism isn't just going and speaking on the streets. That can be a small part of it, but much more valuable is speaking about it in your workplace, in your neighborhood, in your sports team. Over a period, over the next couple of weeks, I want to talk about the three interwoven stories, his story, the story, the big story of creation, the story of God. We were created for relationship with God. Sin disrupted, corrupted, and smashed that to pieces, but God was not surprised. He knew that his plan before the foundation of time was to bring us into created order. We can all have a but God story. Romans 5 verse 8 says this, But God demonstrates, shows, makes really clear his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. But God. See, every single person in this room that's a follower of Jesus should have a but God story. It might not be a traumatic, sensationalized, drugs to Jesus story. And you may look at your life and think, but I don't have that. But you know, every story has a value. I remember once, and we, we got into this thing that many churches do in a different place, and had a few guys up, and women that were telling their, their, their sensational story of what Jesus had done. And one guy said, do normal people not become Christians? See, your normal story has value. While we were sinners, while we were still messed up, while we were still away from God, God didn't wait for us to come crawling to him. It says he demonstrated. He made it so clear about his love for us. While we were still in the state we were in, with our messed up lives, maybe it looked good on the outside, maybe, maybe we had security and jobs, and everything that the world says, this is what makes you a real person. Maybe we had all of that stuff, but inside we were still messed up. God said, I'm demonstrating my love for you. He chose you for himself. And that is part of our story. And all of those stories, as I've said, have value. The sudden meeting of Jesus, the gradual meeting of Jesus, the dramatic meeting of Jesus, 
the non-dramatic meeting of Jesus. Can I say as well, when we hear, if you've been around church for any length of time, you probably have heard those stories of drug addicts or, or people with messed up lives standing up, and they, I, I love to hear them <coughs> saying, this is how I met Jesus. But that's not the story that we want for our kids. We want a different story for our kids. And so we should be able to tell those stories because they have equal value. Matthew 5, 14 to 16 says this. Here's another way to put it. You're here to be a light, bringing out the God colors of the world. God is not a secret to be kept. Despite what your neighbors, what society, what government may tell us, God is not a secret to be kept. We're going public with this. And if you want a sideline for this year, a viral story, we're going public with this. As public as a city on a hill. If I make you light bearers, you don't think I'm going to hide you under a bucket, do you? I'm putting you on a light stand. And now that I've put you on a hilltop, on a light stand, shine. Keep open house. Be generous with your lives. By opening up to others, you'll prompt people to open up with God, this generous Father in heaven. You see, it's not just your story that's important. It's how it's woven in to Jesus, to God. Because as we begin to tell our story, we prompt people to open up to the person of Jesus who we want people to meet. We've been commissioned as followers of Jesus. And this is, I guess, what I want to talk about over a couple of weeks. We've been commissioned to tell people about Jesus. But we've often been shamed or belittled into silence. It's time to go public. It's time for our story to go viral. We've been given the why. We've been empowered. You know, as we look into the world around us, we actually begin to see the reality of a world that's rejected God. They say if there's a loving God, this is the question that was put so often. If, we, if there's a loving God, why is the world in such a mess? I've heard it said, and maybe you've heard it say, said before, if there's such a great dentist in the town, why are people's teeth in such a mess? Because people don't go to the dentist and do what the dentist says. We see the natural consequences in our world right at this moment of society, of people, of humanity that have rejected Jesus. We see division. We see greed. We see abuse. We see rejection. We see racism. We see lies, misogyny, misogyny, domestic abuse, poverty, lives ripped up and ripped apart. And this is the reality of the world that has rebelled against God. I was out walking the dog 
yesterday and just thinking through my message today. And you know, when you've got that space and you're trying to keep every bit of flesh away from the wind that's blowing into you. And my mind just began to wander and think about the message today. And I just thought, what if this was my last message? What if I, standing up here for the last time, what would I want you to remember? And I just thought, two simple things. The first simple thing to those that don't know Jesus already or those of you that may have walked away and you're here today and you don't know why you've come back. Here's the one thing that I want you to remember. You are loved. You are loved. You are loved. But here's the problem. We have to be recipients, receivers of that love. If you don't know Jesus, he is extending his love, his grace, his forgiveness towards you. And we have to receive it. We have to say, God, I accept your love. I step into that love that you give me. And because you love me so much, I'll do what you say. But to those of us that are already following Jesus, what do I want to say? What would I want to say to you? Remember the love is probably the first part of that. It's really interesting that Paul in Ephesians, he's writing to a church that he loves, and he says, I want you to know the full extent, the height, the breadth, the depth, the full extent of God's love. These were already people that knew about God's love that had stepped into it, but he said, I want you to understand the full extent of his love and experience it, not just know it up here and be able to recite it and recite the verses, but I want you to fully experience everything about this love. And I want you to remember that because a few years later, God reveals to John in Revelation he says, I want you to say to the church in Ephesus this. He says, you've done all the right things. And we can spend so much time doing all the right things. John says to the church in Ephesus, you've done all the right things. But you've lost the love. Remember, you are loved. You are loved. But when we understand and experience the love of God, it will compel us to do something. It will drive us. It will boundary our lives. It will push us forward. It will push us forward not just to experience it ourselves, but to tell other people about that love. I am 
loved. You are loved. Let me tell you the story of how I accepted that love. See, we can't sit in our own love. There is something that should drive us forward. Yes, obedience. And I want to, again, talk about that at different times. But it's not just obedience or duty or habit. It's got to be compelled, motivated, boundaried by the love that we've experienced. I want to remind every single person in this room and every single person that listens online, you are loved. Some of you need to know and experience and then obey Jesus. But also some of us need to step out and tell other people. We want to be a church. That the unchurched love to attend. But as someone recently asked, what unchurch are we talking about? It's not always those people that are just like us that listen. Sometimes it's the ones that have experienced the consequences of the sin that we've talked about. The ones that have experienced division and greed and abuse and rejection and racism and lies and misogyny. The ones that have experienced domestic abuse, poverty. The ones whose lives have been ripped up and ripped apart. They need to see and experience the same love that Christ showed us. We're called to be light bearers. And it's time for the story, your story, my story, our story, his story to go viral. It's time for your story interwoven into the story of Jesus to go viral. If you've noticed the end of our service many times and we will continue to do this we say a prayer and in that prayer we ask for three things it's not just a habit or a duty that we ask for those three things we ask for opportunity to speak to people we ask for courage to speak to people and we ask for wisdom to know what to say as we speak to people it's not just a prayer that we do because it ends our service, but it is a commission for us as we head into our week. Not duty, not habit. Yes, obedience, but not just obedience, but because we are compelled by the same love. The same love that Christ shows to us that we have experienced that boundaries our lives, that enables us to tell our story, the story that's interwoven with Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for your word. I pray, God, that you would take my words. And I pray... God, that there will be a challenge, firstly, to my life, and secondly, to all our lives, and thirdly, to us as the church. I pray, God, that if people remember that we are 
loved. God, that it will boundary our lives, that it will compel us. God, I pray you'll give us confidence to tell our story. Even if it's simply, I don't know what happened. But something is different. I was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. I was dead in sin, but now I'm alive. I pray, God, that as we, maybe those of us that have been on the road a long time, I pray that you would draw us back to that place of remembrance of your incredible demonstration of your love for us. That you would light a fire in us. name of Jesus.